0: View uh, with this message to uh, exceed me and to reach people who need reached and for a uh, part of it to uh, stay with every one of us as we go through our week, in your name I pray, amen. Okay, uh, first I'd like to start with a story, an imaginative story. So let's, let's imagine that we're a pilot of a helicopter. Uh, it's not very good weather, and we're flying our helicopter, it's not very good, it's getting a little cloudy, it's a little foggy, it's a hard to see, we get in the air, it looks about like this. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. There we go. Uh, but don't worry, we have a tactic, we're going to follow major highways, it's a good tactic used by pilots, they're taught to just follow major highways, we won't, we won't hit a hill. Uh, and we have passengers, they have to get to their destination, we've, we've got to go up in this air, we've got to fly this, uh. so we're flying along, and it's going pretty good, but the conditions, they're kind of bad, but we're going good for the conditions, it's going okay. Uh, and we switch air traffic controllers, and we're beginning, and they identify themselves, and we identify us. And so we're communicating, and we, they ask us our intent, and we say, we're going to go up to 4,000 feet. Well, we start to ascend, but, uh, ascend, but little do we know that we're severely disorientated. A le- previous left turn has turned into a bit of a dive, and by trying to ascend, we are going very fast in the wrong direction. Moments later, what we thought, we were rising, we start to see a hill come into view, and at 180 miles an hour, missing the hill by 20 to 30 feet, we slam into the hill and explode. The helicopter explodes, killing us and our eight passengers. Those who listen to the news may recognize this as the story of Kobe Bryant, an NBA player and coach. Bryant, his daughter, who he was going to go coach, two players, mother and father of one of the players, the mother of the other player, and an assistant coach, all died in this tragic accident. Uh, and what they believed to have happened was the pilot was trusting his perception. He was he what he, he felt like he was going straight, and so he started to ascend. Uh, but pilots are taught to avoid, obey their instruments over feelings like of something they learned because of something called spatial disorienti- disorientation. When the fluid in your ears, which is balance, gets disorientated and you feel like you're going straight or forward, and you're going left, right, up, or back, you can't tell where you are. So you should always, pilots are taught to trust their instruments. I feel like we can have this feeling, you know, like, I got this, or I have control. And I don't know, I know, I know what I need. Mean. I, I can travel this gray, foggy area alone. Uh, I don't think that's right, because uh, if we use our feelings and ignore our tested instruments, then we may, have, we may end up like our imaginative pilot of selves, crashing and burning into a hillside. So how can we pilot our lives without becoming disorientated? Well, we can use our instruments. Uh, but before we talk about our instruments and what we have on our imaginative cl- uh, journey of life as we pilot our lives, before we talk about the instruments, I'd like to talk about what stops us from using our instruments. And I could come up with two things. The first one being Satan. Uh, luckily, we know his devices. It says in 2 Corinthians two eleven uh, that. Leave my light on along with me. Thank you. Clickers and okay. everything. It says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And in the King James Version, it says, we are not ignorant of his devices. So we can know Satan's tactics. We can know what he does. And it's laid out in Scripture. The first thing he does is deceit or lies. That's what I call it. It's delayed because we're doing so much here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> deceit or lies. Uh, and so First John three eight says... We'll describe okay, um, but when the people keep sinning, it shows us that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the very beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And then in John eight forty four, it says, "You are children of your father, the devil, and you love, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he's a liar." and the father of lies. Uh, so people lie, and we know what that looks like. And it said that we are like the devil. We we lie, and so we can kind of have an idea, and I'm sure parents have an even better idea of what their child's lies are like. Uh, and so Satan lies too, but Satan is a bit smarter than maybe your ch- average child is. Uh, Satan deceives, and that's the word I prefer to use, and a good example of that is the story of Eve, having Eve in the garden. Because Satan never really outright lied, like said something that was completely false. Uh, He simply deceived or implied lies and stretched the truth, making Eve question God, like, you will surely not die. Well, he was right, in the sense that you would not die in that moment, but inevitably, they did die. So he was stretching the truth there. Uh, Satan wants us to not trust God. He wants us uh, to not be looking at our instruments. He wants us to rely on our own understanding, and Proverbs 3.5 says, "'Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding.'" So if we make God's understanding our understanding, if we make God's wisdom our wisdom, if we make uh, God's desires our heart's desires, uh, we can start to kind of, we gain understanding, wisdom, and motivation. We can start to break down Satan's lies, and we can start to see the truth. Because if we don't, Satan lies to us and he convinces us to deceive ourselves and others, and if we accept and spread Satan's false truths, we will gain destruction. That's the next point. Satan brings destruction, 1 Peter 5, 8 says... Stealer, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowled around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Then in John 10.10, it says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to get a rich and satisfying life. The thief, the devil, comes to destroy everything and doesn't play by any rules. All tactics are available. Every thought is fair game. Every impulse and desire is weaponized. Satan spins evil out of every motive and thought. He tells lies and manipulates thoughts. He uses the media to spread hate, hopelessness. And destruction. Uh, and the last thing that Satan does, or one of the last things that I'm going to mention, is delay. First Thessalonians 2 18 says, We wanted very much to come to you and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Satan prevents us from spreading the good news. He installs fear and doubt in our minds. He causes us to doubt our church, doubt our families, doubt our friends, and even sometimes doubt ourselves causes us to think, oh. I should wait until I'm older. I should wait till this happens. I should wait till this date, and we keep pushing back things, he causes us to delay. And I think if we hesitate, if we let ourselves be convinced by that lie that we're not ready, or whatever, that that is Satan winning, stopping us from using our instruments to stopping the furthering of the kingdom. <clears throat> uh, and there's so much more than that Satan does. Uh, if uh, guys who've been on fire may get this, uh, I feel like Satan is ground fighting. Satan, he fights dirty. He takes every advantage. There's no stop, no mercy, no easing. And Satan is smart. Uh, he knows how to distract us from our instruments. And I want to show you a video about Satan in the garden. Leave out if you pull it Just next slide. I'm here to PC. Yeah.
1: under 10 other occurrences. And it's always a positive trait of being um, smart and shrewd. Crafty. Well, it gets translated crafty, but if you do a word search on in the Hebrew Bible, it's like under 10 other occurrences. And it's always a positive trait of being um, smart and shrewd, sometimes perceptive. Yeah. It's not far from the word for wisdom. C- correct. In other words, it's used a lot in the Book of Proverbs, and it's a positive trait. Trait to be arrogant. Yeah. Um, so the snake is introduced in the first sentence with a positive wisdom trait. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a perceptive, clever creature. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting that uh, he said Arum mm-hmm. Mikol um, um crafty more than all the beasts of the field. Mm-hmm. What he ends up as being. Arul, we call a cursed more than all the beasts in the field. The so within left. the course of the narrative he goes from being arun to arul, mm-hmm. more than all the beasts. And I think that's oh. the literary design. He's bad.
0: Yes, yeah, totally. He's a good creature, gone yeah. Um so in this part it says in this video he said crafty more than all the beasts in the field, and that it was an, almost a wisdom. So Satan knows how to get to humans, he's perceptive, he's seen the weaknesses and the flaws in the human mind, so he knows how to break us, and he knows he knows how to get it in our heads. And so if we know his tools, if we know his devices, I feel like that can help us better fight him, because he's not going to stop until he makes everyone stumble. So Satan is obviously a huge enemy, but the, another thing stopping us is pride, or just ourselves as wholes. So First 1 John 2, 16-17 says... The world offers cravings to distract us, and these are well, to so. It says, For the world offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for anything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, they are from the world. And the world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But only but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So this world offers these cravings and I made a small list cravings like jealousy. We want something. Anger, or, we angry. We want fairness. We obsess over having control, or we want attention or popularity, accepted, acceptance. We want comfort. We want lust. We also have pride. All these things can distract us from our instruments. Uh, but pride stuck out to me, and Mary <coughs> Luxe makes an interesting distinction between pride and vanity. Vanity being, people should think I'm amazing, whereas pride is more of a I am amazing. I don't need anyone. I'm greater than others. And that both of those aren't spiritually good, but pride makes us think that we're good enough ourselves that we don't need anyone. And the Bible talks a lot about pride. And we're going to go faster here, Levi. James 4 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 11 2 says, Pride leads to disgrace but with humility comes with wisdom. Proverbs 16 18 says, Pride leads to conflict. The next one says, Pride goes before destruction. And the next one says, The Lord mocks the mockers but is gracious to the humble all of those talk about pride leading to destruction, leading to punishment. So we need to make sure that we're being humble and not think that we can do it alone. Galatians 6, 3-5 says, If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own works for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Now this first distinguish, this distinguishes pride in ourselves, like I'm so good, and then pride in our works. Uh, so we can't have pride and think that we can do it alone, we're not that important, and we need to, we're not too important to help others. But we can have pride in our work. For example, I, would, I have pride in this sermon or in a performance that I give. Uh, but we are not to compare our works to each other. Works don't have scales, especially to God. There's no definitive or numerical, better or worse. There's no quantitative value. It's mine, which makes it special to God. And if we put effort into our works, then God will accept them as they are. And this could be singing, our piano, speaking, parenting, or small things like loading the dishwasher. As long as we can obey Christ and we work our hardest, then we are each responsible for our own conduct. So we can have pride in what we do and be proud of things that we present to the Lord as long as we're doing them the right way. But pride in ourselves will lead to destruction. And I think that's a fine line between pride in our work and pride in ourselves. When Satan makes us think that we don't need Christ, he is ensuring our demise. John 15, 4-5 says, Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit, From apart from me you can do nothing. So although we may survive, or even temporarily thrive without Christ, eternal life is only through him, and we only gain everlasting joy and hope through Christ. So those are those are the things that are stopping us from looking down, and we're flying our airplane, flying around, and it's getting foggy, and life's getting crazy, and we're like, oh, what's happening? And Satan is working his hardest to make us not look down at our instruments. But what are our instruments? What can we use? The first instrument, I think, is music, and we just we just demonstrated that. Uh, music transcends language; it brings back feelings and it's remembered. People go to the next slide. It says the hippocampus and the frontal core. I'm not going to read this all; it's all too sciencey. But it's it's science. Dude says that music is a great way for us to remember things. I mean, how do we learn the ABCs? Or do you know the preamble of the Constitution as opposed to the Star Spangled Banner? Music is a great way to memorize scripture and anything, really. I'm, I can usually pick out a sentence from someone speaking, preaching, like Jessica Youth, every fifth sentence, I can come up with a song that relates to that. So music is a great way to memorize scripture. And music can, be, can carry more meaning than its words and have a greater effect in its composition. For example, during the Civil War, Union and Confederate soldiers were fighting until one of them started singing Home on the Range. Stop the fight and they all sang Home on the Range. Or an even bigger example, on Christmas Eve during World War I, I believe, Germans and British were in their trenches fighting out until one of the Germans started singing Silent Night, Holy Night. Or then the British started singing, they were different languages even. Different languages started singing the same song, came together into no man's land, mines, all this terror. They came together on Christmas Eve and sang hymns, exchanged gifts, during a world war. Music breaks barriers. Music has been a central part to Christianity, too. The Bible has a reference to over 1,400 songs, like the Song of Moses, Psalms 119, the Song of David's victories, or the Song of Solomon. It has songs of lament, like lamentations, joyous songs, and songs of beauty, majesty, and even sorrow. They're all in the Bible. And I use music every day. This sermon wasn't written without music. I think my parents could attest that it was hard to get a hold of me when I was listening to music and writing the sermon. And music helped pull me out of a bad mentality into a space where I could be inspired and confident to give this sermon. Uh, the Bible says also to sing songs. Psalms 69-30 says, Then I will praise God's name with singing and I will honor him with thanksgiving. And I think Martin Luther probably said it best in his quote. He said, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man so that he should proclaim the word of God through music. So listen to music, sing songs, perform music, and use this instrument. (coughs) Instrument. Get get it? Music. (laughs) And speaking of the word of God, the next instrument that we can use is the Bible. And uh, I feel like we can I don't know if you guys have heard or have even said, I don't feel like I can hear God, I can't hear God, it seems like I'm, He's forsaken me, I can't hear Him speak. Well, I, the Word of God is probably on your phone. And I say that hypocritically, but I rarely ever feel better than when I'm writing a youth message or writing a sermon and I'm diving deep into Scripture. I Google, Bible verses about hope, Bible verses about depression. And I think if you have a problem, then you could just Google Bible verses about, and then enter your problem, and you might find something to motivate you. I have an example. Bible verses about the Bible. Let's get into it. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cut between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Uh, I like this because it says the word is living. So it didn't die when the author died. It didn't die when Jesus died. Ascended into heaven, it didn't die. It's still alive. And with it being alive, it works in us when we read it. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Word work together to inspire us to separate the soul and spirit and expose us. And I always think, what does it mean, expose us? And why is it exposing us? Well, I think the next next scripture can give us a detail in Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So, the Bible exposes us so that we can be corrected, so we can see what's wrong in our lives, and so we can better ourselves. Matthew 4, 4 says, But Jesus said to them, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We can't live without the Word. He is the vine and we are the branch. And this is an instrument He gave us to use. Psalms 119.105 says, The Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, can't live without the Word. It is a guide for our lives. And a light for our next step. The Bible is indispensable to the Christian life. It's a vital instrument. Even when we feel like God is quiet, His Word is always there. And we are so fortunate to have... His word always available to us. I think the Bible is the best way for us to correct and improve ourselves. The next one, uh, the next instrument we can use is prayer. 1 John five fourteen through 15 says, And we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. So God hears everything and grants requests that align to his will. So maybe he wouldn't grant a prayer that said like a million dollars or if he would just bring a helicopter and drop a church in the new plot, that would be great. I don't think that's what he's going to do. I don't think the helicopter's on its way. Uh, But changing changing hearts, inspiring, motivating uh, people to change or to give more or to volunteer or to bring healing, I think those are things that are reasonable and if they align with his will, that will happen. Mark 11, 23 through 25 says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen, and have no doubt in your hearts, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you will receive it, it will be yours, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone who is holding a grudge against you, so that your Father in Heaven will forgive your sins too. We have to humble ourselves and have faith because our words can move mountains. We have to believe with everything that it will happen, and we have to forgive those who trespass against us, which, for me, can sometimes be a problem. And that might be why sometimes we feel like our prayers aren't working because we're not doing it right. And I don't think anyone knew the power of prayer as much as Jesus. In Luke five fifteen through 16, it says that despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread fast, and vast crowds came to hear him preach, and to be healed by their disease. But Jesus often withdrew in the wilderness for prayer. I really like this verse, because to me, there's a few words in there that are key. He withdrew. This wasn't a convenience thing. He wasn't walking. He's was like, oh, I'll say a prayer now. He was in the midst of doing something, and he's like, I'm going to withdraw. Intentionally go away. And then he said he went to go pray in the wilderness, not on the... The steps of the temple or in front of everyone, and to brag his majesty and ability to pray, he went, I would assume, alone in the wilderness to talk to God. And I think that's important that we do the same. While Jesus' popularity soared and opportunities came to speak, he kept prayer a priority. And even when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit or Christ moving in us knows what we need. Romans 8 26-27 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with, groaning, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, and the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. When I read this, this was really comforting to me, because it's like, uh, the cries that uh, our cries are heard even when we can't speak, we don't understand what we need or what we want or what's going on. It's just when you can't make words, those those are heard. And God understands. But it's important to know that this doesn't mean that we just can't pray. If God knows. It'll be fine. We move on. I don't think that's true and I always think of a like a parent. And I'm not a parent. Uh, but, I think, uh, like a parent, if they had a child, and the child is just a, like, an energetic child running around, and then you start to see weird things, small discrepancies in how the child acts and presents himself, things that only a parent could see. You know the, the kid is struggling, something's on his mind, he's, he's not doing too good, I mean, he's, he's trying really hard to not tell anyone or show anyone, but it's really just a struggle for this kid. And the parent can see that, and it's like, I want to help my child, I mean, this child is struggling it's like, if I go up to them, you know, I'm sure parents of teenagers will say, hey, what's you know the will test? You go up to them and say, hey, what's wrong? They go, no, And move, move on. But how, so, you know, just watching your child struggle, that seems like that'd be so hard. But then how amazing would it be when the child finally comes up and goes, I have a problem, I need help with this, and the parent can go, yes, let's get to work, or we can start helping, and the parent could be there for the child. I feel like that's really close to how, or even more so what God feels, you know, when he sees us struggling. He knows our struggles like it says, but we won't come to him with prayer. We won't tell him what's wrong. We won't try to get help. So I think Christ really wants us to help. And for me, I think prayer is a time to think and reflect along with talk with God. He will respond in his own way. Uh, and I like to think of it as a friend who quietly listens. And although prayer is good to do together, in fact, it's quite powerful in we'll those mountains, and we'll talk more about that later. later. Praying alone like Jesus is probably good. But you could truly unravel and present everything to Him. And I like to think of like, maybe you have all this stuff bundled up with yourself. You have all this string or you know, something that you keep close to your chest. It seems like when you pray, you throw it out, you drop it all down, and you can, you just see it everywhere. And then God, through you, through prayer, can start to have you see everything. So as you give it all to Him, as you lay out all your problems, everything you do, you can start to see. And you're like, hmm, I can fix that. I, could, I see what's wrong here. I can maybe start working towards this and gaining confidence for that. And God, through you, through the Holy Spirit, you can start to see stuff. So for me, prayer is a revealing conversation with a verbally silent friend who works inside me to inspire change. But why do we pray? Well, Philippians 4.6 says, don't worry about anything. It said pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Be thankful for all He has done. So we pray to be thankful. And we should pray... Always. Instead of worrying, we should always pray. Uh, And a side note on this verse is uh, that I cannot not read this verse and think of a VBS song from like so long ago. I don't even remember when this VBS was, but there was a song that went with this, and I think that's a great uh, testament to how well music works to memorize scripture. I don't even remember the song, and I can't remember Philippians 4 6, but I can remember the whole verse. And so I think that uh, it's important that we do programs like VBS, children's church, adult Bible studies, stuff like that, to get scripture ingrained into the heads, especially through things like music. So we should pray to thank God and pray always. First John 1, nine says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Uh, and I put all caps here, MUST CONFESS. That's the first step. Once we confess our sins to Him, once we pray, you know, bring it all to Him, this is this is what's, well, this is my, what I've done, this is my problems, then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. James 1.5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So God gives wisdom generously. In a Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans of good and not of disaster. I give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will enter captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of your nation where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. So, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, we get forgiveness. You can ask for wisdom, if you remember, God, the Word is a lamp to our feet, so we have a guide, we can get wisdom through prayer, and there's a plan for our lives. And I think that's amazing that we have that hope, that we can get all that through just using our instruments. God has a plan for each of us, and He will reveal it in His perfect timing. And He can reveal it through the wisdom, if you pray for it, and through the Word, if you use it as a guide. And in James 5, 13-17, it says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. If you're happy, sing praises. Music, instrument. Um, are any of you sick? You should call on the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The Lord, and the Lord will make you well. If you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. We have a powerful faith that we can use through prayer together we can heal the sick and move mountains. The body of Christ has power in numbers and prayer. And, go to the next slide. You confess your sins with each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no man would fall, none fell for three and a half years. We have power through prayer to help people. And I think that's a huge deal. People help people. We can help each other, and I think you know what that means. That means that's our last instrument. The last instrument is people slash the church. Galatians 6, 1 through 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in that way, obey the law of Christ. You Think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself, you're not that important. Uh, I read that just earlier, the not important part, and I read this scripture last time. The church has the responsibility, the ability, and a responsibility to help each other. And I read this last sermon, and it had a quote with it. it so, the goal was always restoration. The goal of the church is always restoration, and we should work to restore each other. Matthew 9. 12-13 through 13 says, When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, Now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifice. For I have come to call those who know not think, that, not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Do you know that you're a sinner? We can't have pride and act like we're not. The church should be a hospital, and do you feel like the church is a hospital? Do you feel like this place is a place for the sick? A place for the outcasts to be healed and the weary to rest? Are the doors of this hospital open? Are the staff, the doctors, nurses, and technicians, are they qualified? And are we even a church at all? Are we even a hospital at all? I have a quote. It says, the church should be seen as a hospital, a rehab clinic, a place of refuge, or a repair shop. The church is not a country club. Stop treating it like one. The person smoking outside the church doors, the woman in inappropriate clothing, the man with whiskey under his breath—these are the children of God. Not excuses to pass judgment, judgmental glances. Act. Ask them their story. The story. Buy them coffee. Really listen to them. That is the gospel. I'm not telling them that they need to get their act together in order to attend Christ, to attend church. Christ did not. Have people get better. He took them as they are. We are the repair shop for people. And how hard is it to be a hospital when your own church doesn't come here for healing? Think to yourself, do you come here for healing? Would you open up and expose yourself to get prayer? like it says to do. Uh, For me, I don't know if I would. And maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I'm on to something. I think it's time for us to open our minds, up our level, and quit the gossiping. And I say this to me, too. And I think that's the beauty of preaching, is I'm preaching to myself. It would be hypocritical to come up here and act mighty, uh, bigger than everyone that's prideful. Uh, this isn't a feel-good country club. Sure, we can have joy and music and fun and maybe even go do some country club things and, you know, golf or whatever they do at country clubs. (laughs) Uh, but we're also here to break down walls, provide healing, and provide healing, reaching into the depths of humanity's darkness to find righteousness. James five sixteen again, says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Come together and pray and confess your sins to each other. Remember last time, my point was remember the family, be the church. Don't let pride get in the way. And when when we are the church, we can use each other as a vital instrument in our lives, a resource or lifeline to keep in the fight. For me, it seems like God speaks through people. And at times, God uses me to speak to people. And conversations with people can reveal eye-opening revelations and ideas. And Christ always used people for his good. For example, Rahab was a prostitute. Paul was a murderer. David an adulterer. Jonah was a coward. All these sinners worked for his kingdom. And I think we too could probably find an adjective that described ourselves. But we too, sinners from the start, can work wonders. But we can't act like we're not sinners. We can't have this place be a country club. Remember our pilot example? That the pilot only listened to others and gotten a second opinion from air traffic controllers, he could have seen that he was lost and disorientated, and in fact, he could have seen that he was descending instead of ascending. Had every instrument on board, not every instrument, had every instrument on board failed except his radio. And he could have still radioed to air traffic controller. They could have seen that he was falling and descending. And they could have helped them. Hey, you're not going up. Oh. I feel like we can do that too. Uh, if we are in the haze and fog and even feel like our instruments are failing, we too should be able to go to others to get to evaluate ourselves. The church is a vital instrument of the faith. We must make sure that we are using it correctly. We have to ensure the church is a place for the sick to rest and be themselves. There should be no masks in church. We should be ourselves and be the kingdom of God. So, in conclusion, like the pilot, when visibility is low and the fog of life clouds our minds... We can rely on our instruments. Use our instruments. Instrument of music. We can get godly songs stuck in our head, sing praise, memorize scripture. We can use the Bible to memorize scripture. We can teach them to our kids through VBS Bible study. Teach them to ourselves. We can pray pray often. Pray with God alone. Pray with others because there's power. And talk to our Father in Heaven. And then... We can use our people in the church. And the people slash church part of this is a very interesting part because music, that's all on you. Bible, that's all on you. Prayer, that's all on you. The people in church is the only option up there that isn't something you control. You can listen to music or not. You can Bible or not. You can pray or not. People will do what people do. They'll do what they want. You can't control if a person comes up to you. And that's what makes it most powerful, and that's what also makes it the most likely to fail. So, when we we are all pilots in our own lives, lives that get foggy and hazy. When you can't feel anything, and when it gets dark, when your senses are going haywire, use your instruments, because they will never fail. And again, I have a, my sermon resources available if you want to look over the document be inspired. Just come find me. Let's pray. Dear Lord. Thank you for the ability to give you up here and speak. Be with us to, when our lives get foggy, to find our instruments, to be able to uh, read your words, to pray, to sing, to come to people. Be with us to be able to uh, use what we you have given us to better our lives, to allow us to serve you and be with us to seek your forgiveness in in your name i pray